people of God had been in exile, they're coming home to Jerusalem. They see the steps leading into the temple, and as they ascend each one, they pray and give praise to God. They teach us how to pray and praise God in difficult times. Join us for this series every Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Well, it's uh, Wednesday night. It's uh, moving closer and closer to the end of January. So here we are in the last week in January. And after this Sunday, we will, by God's grace, as long as COVID-19 continues to uh, go down in terms of the cases, we will return to what are normal activities on the first Wednesday night in February. We have a couple of Bible studies that we'll be meeting that night. We have our a wonderful time for our children, our boys and girls, and our preschoolers enjoying Mission Friends, GAs, and GMUD. We have our students who gather on Wednesday night, and we have the adults who are not in Bible study and want to join in a a rather brief Bible study and prayer time. But the prayer time is the focus of Wednesday night, and it is the lifeblood of any church that's serious about being faithful to God as we gather to pray to Him. Then on the following Sunday morning, February the 7th, we will resume our Sunday school hour for all ages. We will also have our Sunday night services, including the resumption of our Awana ministry and our Sunday night gathering for our students. Also on Wednesday night, uh, the first Wednesday night in February, we will resume our ensemble rehearsal. We're grateful for the music ministry of our church. We praise God for that. And, and uh, they will be resuming their rehearsal uh, on that first Wednesday night in February. So pray with me that all of that would go well, that uh, this COVID situation would begin to be brought more and more under control, that uh, we will see a drop in cases in our county. Pray for our doctors, our nurseries, our healthcare workers, our people who work in nursing homes, our residents in our nursing homes. Uh, continue to pray for God's provision and protection. Uh, do not diminish, ever, do not diminish the importance of the power of prayer. And to know that uh, God hears and, and that God answers our prayers. Tonight we're in Psalm 128, and I want to pray right now, and then we will consider this psalm together. Father, we thank you for these psalms of ascent. And we pray tonight that as we look at this Psalm 128, that is to be joined with Psalm 127 because their themes are so similar, so closely connected that you would lead us by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray tonight that you would help us to think biblically and to think clearly and to think specifically about two realities. The first is the order of the family that you have established. 
not that we have created, but that you have established. And then secondly, tonight, God, I pray, and I pray with great gratitude that we can focus on this second reality, your great grace and your manifest mercy to us when we fail to follow the pattern that you have established. Your word is perfect and pure. Your word is plain. Your word is about the order, your word about the order that you have established for the family is without compromise. You do not equivocate when you speak. And yet, God, for too many years and so many places, we have chosen paths in the family that are very different from what you have decreed. And that's why tonight I pray that you would help us to hear clearly the order that you have established and your forgiveness and mercy when we repent for failing to follow that order. And even beyond that, Lord, your great grace to us, even in our families when they are out of order. So bless tonight, we pray, and feed us by your Holy Spirit through your word. Bring us to conviction where that's needed, confrontation with your Holy Spirit through your word and comfort where that is needed as well. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to tell you that one of my one of my really great struggles through the years from really the early days and weeks of being a Christian and being a part of a church and particularly from those early years in ministry that frankly at last drove me to seminary, which was the right place for me to go, although in terms of the crisis that I was facing in my life at the time that I got in a U-Haul with Ann trailing behind in a little Buick Opal driving 500 miles north to Louisville, Kentucky to begin what we thought would be a few years of seminary study. It turned into a decade that we lived in Louisville, wonderful years there that I still remember and reflect on and rejoice in in so many ways. But what brought me to that crisis that put me in that U-Haul and sent me toward Louisville was the, the breakdown between what the Bible taught about, well, about almost everything. And I had no knowledge of biblical languages at the time. I had no real theological system at the time. I had no way of processing at the time. But I wasn't stupid. And, and I could read my Bible, and I could study my Bible, and I trusted the Holy Spirit, and I was beginning to gather a library of commentaries, and I would read those commentaries. 
Uh, parenthetically, the first commentary I owned was a one-volume commentary by Matthew Henry. It was a treasure trove for me. And I would read the Bible in preparation for teaching Sunday school or preaching sermons. And I would check what I was seeing and hearing from the Word of God with the commentaries. And I began to see very early on this breakdown, this disconnect. This is what the Bible says about the role of the pastor. This is what the Bible says about how the church is to be ordered. This is what the Bible says about, well, about the family. And in those three major issues, I don't think they're minor issues. I don't think they're negotiable issues. In those three area, major areas, I saw a complete breakdown and a definitive disconnect between what the Bible taught and what was displayed in, well, in at least the church I served or the churches I served for those four years, five years before I left for Southern Seminary. And my crisis was theological. I, I didn't know that word really and didn't know how to spell it, but I would learn later I was having a tremendous theological crisis. And I can put that theological crisis into one sentence with a question mark. Can I trust the Bible? I can say it another way. Is the Bible truly the Word of God? And my struggle particularly was not only about what the Bible taught, my struggle was do we really believe what the Bible teaches? And if we do, why don't we apply the Bible to our daily lives, both in the church and in our family? Uh, that question raged in me. That question was tearing me apart. I came to faith in Jesus out of a total dearth of knowledge of the Bible. Uh, there, there are many days that I wished I had been raised in the church and learned the Bible from my early days, but there are other days, if I can be just real honest, there are other days I'm grateful that I wasn't raised in the church because I, I, I might have, I might have become a conformist, a traditionalist to the way things are and just assume that, as many do, this disconnect is just there. It's just always been there. This this disregard almost of how we live our lives in light of what the Bible says, it's just been around forever and it's just the way it, it's just the way life is. Well, let me ask you, do you trust the Bible? Is the Bible the word of God? And do you, just in your regular routine reading and studying of the Bible, 
seek at some point to go from what the Bible says to how it is to be applied in real life and real time in your life, in your home, in your church, in your business, in your school, in your relationships, in your neighborhood. Can I say this? If you're not making that connection, why bother? Why bother with the Bible? Why bother with reading and studying? Why bother at all? All of that was stirring in my heart in 1976 as I made my way to seminary, and it's been stirring in my heart as I've read through Psalm 127 and 128 and asking those questions. Psalm 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Verse 4, which ends the first section of Psalm 128. So verse 1 is, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Verse 4, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Then what comes in between? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, Psalm 128, verse 1, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And at the end of it is a blessing, a priestly blessing. We would call it a benediction. The Lord bless you from Zion, the symbol of the dwelling place of God eternally in heaven. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, the symbol, though a real city in place, the symbol of the people of God upon earth all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, peace be upon Israel. Now, Psalm 128 is connected directly to Psalm 127. So Psalm 128 flows right out of Psalm 127. So Psalm 127 ends with these words. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, that is with children. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And we ended last week's study by making this observation from that particular word. A man who functions in the world as a lover and worshiper of God will be a man who is faithful as a husband and faithful as a father. He will be the kind of man who will give himself to doing what God calls husbands to do and what God calls fathers to do. And then, now, and always, such a man will provoke enemies. There will be men who may be professors of godliness. They may be active in the church. They may serve in the church in some way, but they're not living as godly husbands and godly fathers, and men who are shine the light on them. And they're opposed to such men, such godly men. But the last verse makes this point. This man who has enemies 
will have no shame before God. Which raises the question, do you want to be popular with people, particularly the larger population of people that make up the bulk of our society, many of whom profess to be Christians who are not? Do you want to be popular with them? Or do you want to be praised by God? Is there a place I could stand in between? Because I kind of like both those options. No. No. Not in our world, and it is going to be increasingly so in American society, that if you want to be popular with people, you will find yourselves living in ways, thinking thoughts, saying words, participating in activities that do not Please, God. Father, husband, do you want the good old boys to hug you, slap you on the back? They're not going to hug you. (laughs) Do you want them to high-five you? Do you want them to elbow bump you in these COVID days? Because you're like them, even though you profess to be a Christian, you're just like them, and they like you because you're just like them. You tell the same jokes, you use the same language, you share the same vocabulary, you live the same life for the most part. Are you living in such faithfulness to Jesus that they don't even want you around? Jesus from heaven smiles. He's not ashamed of you. You know why? Because you're not ashamed of him. Listen to what God says as he continues the theme here of speaking to fathers. There is this frame, verse 1 and verse 4, Verse 1 speaks to everyone. Verse 4 speaks particularly to men. That's why I conclude that this psalm is speaking primarily to men, husbands and fathers, and then out of the flow of that, it speaks to everybody because leadership in the home by God's design has been given to men. There are two places in the world that God has said men are to assume the leadership positions, the home and the church. A woman can be the CEO of a major corporation. Men can be working under her authority and they are to do what she tells them to do. They are to follow through with the assignments that they're given. But if that woman is a believer and God has blessed her to be in this role and she comes into the church to serve in the church. Well, praise God for her gifting. Praise God for her leadership. Praise God for her skills. Praise God for all the ways she can serve in the church, but all of it under the authority of those men whom God has put in place to lead his church. When she goes home and she has organizational gifts, she has gifts and ability to manage the household well, but she is under the authority of her husband 
who, if he is a believer, is going to love her in the way Christ loved the church. So he's going to serve her. He's going to honor her. He's going to meet her needs. He's going to cause her to rejoice in him because he's going to serve her so well and so fully and so faithfully. God is speaking here to men because the key to the happy home and the key to the happy family is men who lead as God calls them, calls us to lead. That leadership is rooted in the fear of God. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Blessed shall the man, behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. What does it mean to fear God? If I'm going to be a spiritual leader in my home, if I'm going to be a spiritual leader as the pastor of First Baptist Church Waynesboro, I've got to be a man, God says, I've got to be a man that first and foremost, above all else, I fear God. What does that mean? Well, fear is not a feeling as it's used in the Bible in relationship to God, no more than love is a feeling as it's used in the Bible in relationship to God. Fear and love are two sides of the same coin. So I fear God and I love God at the same time. To love God is a commitment I make out of the fear of God. Fear comes first. Fear is foundational. A fear is simply the recognition from my heart and soul given by the power of the Holy Spirit of who God is in his essence. Now God tells us here what fearing him is. To fear the Lord is to walk in his ways. That's what he says. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, and then he explains what that means, the one who walks in his ways. Now, how am I going to come to walk in his ways? The ancient Jews, I've gone through this before when we were uh, previously doing these studies, but the ancient Jews had two words that they used that formed the foundation for the knowledge of God and a right relationship with God. Haggadah and Halakha. Haggadah and Halakha. Haggadah means story. Halakha means way of life. The story is the story of God's goodness in redeeming his people. The story for us is the gospel. We believe the gospel. We base our lives on the gospel. God in his greatness and goodness had reached into our sinfulness through the love that he has shown us in Jesus Christ, his son, who sacrificed himself for us on the cross, took our place on the cross, was vindicated by way of the resurrection and now rules over the whole world as Lord, saving all who come to him in repentance and faith. That's Haggadah. That's the gospel story. The center of it is Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And we come to submit ourselves to him. And when we submit ourselves to him, the reality of that is not, I believe the story. I can repeat the story. No, 
the, the, the reality of Agata is halakha. It is the lived out life of a person who is captured by the love and grace of Jesus, living under the lordship of Jesus. Those two are wed together like fear and love. How do I know I fear God? Because I love God. How do I know that I love God? Because I live in obedience to God. What does that look like? A, B, A, B, C, D, A. I acknowledge God as holy and sovereign who is the creator of all things. I do not quibble over that. Faith begins in the acknowledgement of God as sovereign creator of the world. Al, how do you know that? Go to Hebrews 11 and listen to the definition of faith. It is by faith that we believe the world was created ex nihilo, out of nothing. B, we bow before this God in awe of this God because he alone is God. C, we commit all that we are and all that we do to him. D, we give ourselves to doing what he has declared in his word. Acknowledge that he is holy and sovereign. Bow before him in adoration and worship. Commit our lives to him completely. Desire to do all that he has declared in his word, living in obedience. God gives promises to those who fear the Lord. Man, do you fear the Lord? Husband, do you fear the Lord? Wife, do you fear the Lord? Mom, do you fear the Lord? Child, do you fear the Lord? When, when we fear the Lord, we're seeking to make sure that disconnect is closed. It will never be closed completely because we are sinners seeking to serve a perfect and pure God. But we don't live comfortably in the disconnect between what the Bible teaches and how we're living. We don't. We can't. And when we surrender our lives to God... We walk in the fear of the Lord. Here are the promises. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. We work. We work. We know we're made to work. We're created in the image of God to work. And our work, our responsible labor produces fruit and we enjoy the fruit of the labor of our hands. One of the evidence that we belong to God is that we want to work. We want to be active we want to be active in the work of the kingdom, but part of being active in the work of the kingdom is getting up and going to work every day, getting up and going to school every day, getting up and going to that schoolroom in our house and opening our books and doing diligently what we are called to do. We will enjoy the fruit of the labor of our hands. We will be blessed. That is, the word blessed has to do with what God gives us so that we can fulfill the functions for which we were made. God will give us everything we need to be faithful to him. And it will be well with us because we are seeking to obey God. Here's the man of God who fears God, who's leading his family well, loving his wife well, giving to his family what they need spiritually, gathering them for family worship, reading the Bible with them, teaching them what God is teaching him in his quiet time as he reads and studies the word of God, repenting before his family when he fails them in 
being who God has called him to be. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. She will be productive. She will be joyful. She will be happy. She will look forward to seeing you. She will not grieve when you enter the house because she knows that you love her and that you care for her and that you would you would do anything in the world for her. Because you love her in the way that Jesus has commanded. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Little old olive shoots. Little old olive shoots that have nothing on them but a few leaves. But this is the household of a godly man. And it begins with him fearing the Lord, doing what God has declared, committing himself to God completely, leading his family in worship, loving his family well, and his family flourishes. That's what God has designed. You don't take what God has designed and turn it on its head and expect God's blessing. And yet here is what I prayed for. Here's the grace of God. I grew up in a home where this was totally upside down. Many of you grew up in homes where it was totally upside down. Many of you who are listening to this are in homes right now where it's totally upside down. And yet God is gracious and merciful and forgiving. And particularly, I believe, in those situations where the man is absent He's just not there. He may be there physically, but he's not there emotionally. He's not engaging relationally. He's not leading spiritually where men are absent, where men are abusive. I was on the phone with a woman today that just cried out to me about the abuse she had experienced. day in and day out for years, being beaten by her husband until finally she would leave him. My heart broke. But in this part of the world, it's not absent husbands and abusive husbands. It's, it's adolescent husbands. It's men who really still want to be boys. Grow up. Grow up. There's no excuse for a man professing to be a child of God and living like he's still a child. There's no excuse. And yet God is gracious. God is kind. And in homes like that, he still blesses because you know what's there? A woman who loves Jesus. And who in fact loves her husband in spite of himself and loves her children, brings them to church, teaches them the word of God, prays over them at night, gets up early in the morning to intercede for her family. She's the Proverbs 31 woman. And God pronounces a benediction. This is how this great little psalm ends. The Lord blesses us from heaven. God extends his hands over us. And this is what he prays. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Prosper your people, God, please, all the days of their lives. 
May you see your children's children. May you see your grandchildren. May you see your grandchildren's children. May you see multiple generations of faithfulness to God. Peace be upon Israel, upon your home, upon the church. May there be wholeness because, because the church and the homes filled with people who fear God and are seeking to be faithful to God because we love God and we want to honor God in all of our ways. Thank you, God, for your inerrant, infallible, fully sufficient word. This little psalm written thousands of years ago, and yet it speaks tonight right to where we live. Fresh, new. Grant, O God, the spirit of anointing upon those who hear. Break hearts with your word and with that same word bind up broken hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.